It's Wednesday the 3rd of January 2017. I am still Robin Yellow and this is Tectasm episode 41, Cyanogen is pulled off the shelf. And with me again because nobody else is as rude is James Woodall. A happy new year, how are you? Uh, very good, 2017 we made it. Yep, we did, it was touch and go. But, it know. was, but we made it into our second year broadcast, James. We did, episode 41, exciting times. 41. The next major milestone, of course, is 52, which will be one year, but a long way to go before then, because this week, James, we're going to be taking a look at some stories. Cyanogen no more, Solar Roads in France, and Lenovo's new Microsoft-compatible VR helmet. And we'll be judging these stories and others to tell you if they are a techtasm, which is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something existing only in a person's mind. So without further pre-CES nonsense, let's get on with this week's show. Cyanogen, before Christmas, pulled the plug on its services and operating system, James. Well, Cyanogen Inc. announced on the 24th of December last year that all services and cyanogen supported nightly builds will discontinue by December the 31st which was four days ago. The open source cyanogen mod OS and source code will remain available and owners of cyanogen powered devices like the OnePlus One will need to make a switch for future updates Engadget reported. Well at the end of November, James, new CEO Lyle Tal announced the company cut ties with co-founder Steve Kondik. He also said the company would consolidate into a single Palo Alto team by the end of the year as it pivots towards a, uh, quote, modular OS future, building add-ons for Android instead of a replacement. Well, bumpy ride, James, for this company. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have gone through so many different phases haven't they i mean they started out at what this little boutique um open source operating system that well you had to pretty much be a super fanboy to want to get on board with to well what was it initially i mean let's just go briefly over the history of the company what did, what did they do they took um aosp so the standard open source android and i'm going back to now android 1.5 1.6 days um, and they added some extra flair onto it because, hey, you just could. And uh, they provided instructions for almost every major manufacturer to update your OS with the Cyanogen OS instead. And it was effectively a rooted OS, but with extra toys. And those toys were things like advanced screen brightness, new themes, yeah. the ability to tweak elements of the operating system that you couldn't do with the standard uh, uh, Android AOSP. Uh, and they did this by uh, presumably taking, as you say, the open source version of Android and inserting new code upgrades or modules into it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's effectively it. You know, Android is extremely complicated, lots of different layers. And I say this having played with AOS, I've, I've built an AOSP device a few years back. Uh, there's lots of interesting services that are, under the hood that a normal developer can't get access to but with a couple of tweaks you can expose them so i mean basically it was a toy you know it was a toy for people who liked playing with tech and it's the same argument why people well used to get linux you know i can customize it 
Um, so that was that was what CyanogenGen was. But I mean, if you remember, was it a year ago that Microsoft decided to partner up with CyanogenGen um, and uh, and get some apps built into the OS from that? I mean, they've basically had an interesting history, right? They went from this cuddly little fun open source thing to a bit more of a serious company to now, from what it feels like, it's a company that doesn't know what they're doing and maybe investors are looking um, stern. Well, Cyanogen Mod is forking into a new project called Lineage that will revisit the grassroots community effort quote that used to define the custom Android releases. Now, I suppose that the DNA of the company is going to live on with this new fork, uh, Lineage. They've even changed the name to confuse everybody. Um, but I suppose the market really for those that tweaked Android didn't really exist. They had a couple of tie-ups, I think, one with the OnePlus One that was mentioned in the article. And there was another one with a sort of um, an, a, an India-only Android phone also had Cyanogen Mod at the heart of it. And they had some kind of nasty legal fallout, didn't they, over over rights or something? I think it's mainly because it didn't really make sense. I mean, most Android manufacturers are quite capable of making their own operating system. You know, take a look at Samsung with TouchWiz and LG with whatever they call it. Um, and But other companies are quite proud to have standard Android. So I never really understood the place where CyanogenMod kind of sat Yes. Well, they at one point in their uh, journey, they had very grand plans to become, you know, the new Android, the replacement for Android. They very much, you know, were in the, the position of stating to the world that they would consume Android as part of them in the future as they were installed on every phone and spoke very boldly about things which were clearly uh, ridiculous. Uh, and as you say, you know, uh, why... I, I never understood how they were ever going to make money. Did you, James? No, I didn't. Um, and it, it reminds me of a little bit of the dot-com kind of bubble where so many companies out there would just, you know, put dot-com at the end of it and then everyone's really excited. I mean, Cyanogen, right place, right time. They were doing things to Android that other people weren't. I'm guessing the bubble has burst because people have realized there's a reason why no one was doing these other things with Android and that's because no one cares. Well, um, I think we can uh, obviously call this, with the benefit of hindsight, as a big tectasm that, uh, even in its new lineage format, uh, is clearly something which is, uh, you know, has the DNA taken from a very confused company. It was a, a, a tectasm that we didn't call because the story was unfolding before we started tectasm. But uh, I think if we had heard about this, James probably would have called it yeah this way. is definitely a massive hindsight tech well moving on to potentially what could be another is um a small french town obviously has just installed a solar road a solar road what's that well basically it's a road made of solar panels and what's uh, what's really interesting about this it, it, just, it feels a bit like pr this but uh, you know an n gadget android uh, uh, andrew Tarantola, I can't speak there, has written that this uh, this tiny little French town has spent five years and $5.2 million um, installing 30,000 square feet of solar panels on the road. And basically, they'll power the streetlights and all these other kind of wonderful things. Um, but before, before we open up the discussion, what's really weird about this article is 
um, it's a bit of a negative spin as well because it says um, although this is the first of its kind the panels are still prohibitively expensive to produce and they're also less efficient than conventional panels because they're flat not on an angle so it's kind of a bit of a end gadget sort of teeing us up with this one I think well, do you know, one of the stories that we spiked for tonight's show, James, was about the cost of solar or photovoltaic panels are now cheaper per kilowatt hour than wind energy in certain parts of the world, uh, which makes them the cheapest way of producing power. Now, obviously, you know, what you said there was this is the, a very expensive way of making power and an inefficient way of making power because you're not directing the PVs towards the sun. Now, Clearly, the cost of these uh, panels, which I mean, they look like can it, they look like sort of black bricks yeah. in white cement laid in the road, covered in glass. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. So, and I, that's I probably what it is. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right. With a, a diesel generator hid, hidden behind the bushes, <laughs> there. Um, you know, and, and but so, so certainly, obviously, it's a bit of PR and what they want to be, and they've got. Minister Ségolène Royal, who's a very important French politician, um, who I think once stood for president or prime minister, or was one of the both, one of the two. Mm. Uh, they've got an important politician walking up and down, being very photogenic, having photos taken. Uh, and this is a bit of PR for France, of course, that is basically the home of the world's electric car industry. Renault and Nissan, both French companies, uh, or owned by French companies, uh, are the biggest Supply whatever you think about Tesla are the biggest suppliers of uh, uh, electric vehicles in the world, uh, and France themselves very high amount of um, uh, nuclear energy in that company uh, country, which means they're very very low carbon as a, as a nation. And haven't they announced uh, that this Paris is, a- is going to be banning diesel vehicles? Or hang on, that well, what we discussed this on a couple of weeks back. Aren't they aren't they banning in Paris all cars made before two thousand and one, and they're also phasing out diesel vehicles as well. Yeah, so there, so there is a nine thousand euro subsidy for anyone that wants to sell their ten year or older diesel car and then buy an electric car, which is oh. a significant subsidy. Wow! Uh, and then there is going to be the banning, as you say, of uh, diesel cars over fifteen fifteen years old. Was it? Uh, yeah, I, I might have misremembered that one, James. So please don't quote me. Okay. Well, look, look. I mean, it's still quite. Look, France is clearly helping, but this story seems a bit of a. Well, they're kind of teeing up the tech tasm not to kind of you know, beat you to the punch, but, you know, by sort of saying, hey, they're really expensive, they're not quite efficient, you know, so forth. It's a very nice story. That's It, it is a nice story. I, I've got some questions, though, about the technology, which I think will go to whether it's a tech tasm or not. Uh, first of all, it's on a road. Uh, I mean, they're going to be abused and punished by vehicles traveling across this this surface, which means there could be cracking and breaking. So I don't know how resilient they are to that. As you said, there's the problem of the angle uh, to, to which, you know, how much power is actually going to be generated by this stuff. How do you fix them? If, if a panel breaks, how do you replace it? You can't just dig the road up if one of the panel breaks, can you? Well, maybe you can. I don't know. But, uh, you know, as it says in the article, that, that could be potentially very expensive. How long-wearing is the clear silicon resin? Is it going to be slippy? Uh, is it going to be able to get the grip? Um, you know, wouldn't it be just better to put PV panels in a field by a road or in the in the verge on the side of the road rather than actually have them as a driving surface? So so it kind of it stinks a bit of just PR to me, James. Yeah, it does look a bit PR-ish and uh, 
Yeah, I think this has got tech tags written all over it. It's very nice. Isn't this really nice? But no. It is. It's definitely a Tectasm, James. So let's move on to another potential Tectasm, Lenovo's Windows Holographic VR headset. Now, next week or next time we do this show, uh, James, we're going to be full of all the excitement of CES. Uh, but the pre-CES 2017 announcements are already out. And one of them are from Lenovo, Lenovo, who has just showed off to The Verge, a prototype device that works with the Microsoft Windows holographic platform. Now, Mike, Lenovo said it's targeting around 350 grams as the total final weight for this product versus um, heavier devices like the Vive, uh, which is 555 grams. Uh, so it's looking for something light. Uh, it's got some HD OLED panels at 1440 by 1440 making it higher resolution both than both the Rift and the Vive. And good though the Vive is, you can see the pixels when you're wearing it, uh, as I reported last, uh, last time on the show. Um, now, Lenovo aren't producing any motion controllers, which is an important part of any VR headset, instead relying perhaps on third-party options that will be manufactured to the Windows holographic specification. What is this Windows holographic specification, James? Can you shed some light? Um, yeah, it, well, it's a special version of Windows that allows you to put Windows in mid. Oh, you've played with the HoloLens, right? So the idea that you can put any window um, in a kind of holographic space. Um, I suppose it's a bit like. Do you remember the well, the Windows logo certification that you used to get for device drivers all those years yes. back? You know that kind of thing. I, I'm just I'm just flicking through this article. I'm sorry, I have to say, and I quote. Unfortunately, the prototype isn't functional yet, so we can't comment on how this works out in practice. It's just a piece of plastic. It's a piece of plastic from a company that is not known in this space and wants to get in on the game with everybody else. Do you think everyone else at CES is going to be pulling out some kind of VR prototype this year? No, well, yeah, but come, there's a difference between a VR prototype that does something but it's not quite ready and a non-functional piece of plastic. Well, the reason I think we included this in the running order, James, is is because of this Microsoft Windows holographic platform, which presumably is a set of APIs yes. and design criteria for creating VR apps. And that in itself is news. To me, that's the new technology. The fact that Lenovo have got a prototype just means that perhaps, you know, this is something we'll see more of in 2017. Maybe a bit too early to call it a tech test. Uh, yeah, it, I think this this device, um, there's not enough there to say whether or not it's going to be real or not. I mean, there's been plenty of examples of big companies in the past showing off pieces of plastic that have gone nowhere. But this article does link, though, to the, I think we did talk about this back in October, the story of where Microsoft did, in fact, announce their VR thing. And they did say that they were partnering with PC makers to build innovative range of VR headsets starting at $299. Yes. Um, and Lenovo was listed in that, so I guess it's nice to see um, a bit of PR and press hype actually turning into something, even if that something is a bit of an empty piece of plastic. Yes, Windows holographic, and what they, Microsoft are calling holographic computing, and there are a set of tools, uh, the holographic academy documentation and a community so it's just you know it's a it's a way of developing vr apps that microsoft is starting for software and of course that's uh, i think microsoft's strength is in software not in necessarily in hardware so uh, good that they're doing this okay i agree 
let's move on to something a little bit weird, if I may say so. Okay. Uh, the Verge again, um, Vlad Savov is talking about the second Google Tango phone. Now, uh, we spoke about this a little, a little bit in the pre-show. Um, I Google Tango, I mean, I just don't get it. It seems like some nice VR type thing with cameras and stuff, and I'm not doing any service whatsoever. I'm, so, I'm sorry, <laughs> Google. But um, you didn't like this. You didn't like it when we first talked about it. You clearly still don't like it. Uh, just just to describe what this is, Asus uh, have released something called the Zenfone AR, which is it, they describe it in the Verge as the second Google Tango phone, but it isn't. It's actually the third because there was the original Lenovo Fab. Uh, and now there's the Lenovo Fab 2, which is the, technically the second Tango phone, and this is, is what I would call the third. But, but what Tango is, of course, I suppose a bit like the Microsoft holographic platform, is a set of hardware criteria, uh, a hardware specification which enables software to work. And, of course, the software here has to be quite powerful. There's a, the, um, uh, the latest version of Android will support this. It needs a, got a Snapdragon 821 processor and some special sensors inside it which allow you to map 3D and 3D environments very quickly in real time. Um, we called Tango phones a tectasm last year, didn't we, James? We, we did. And, I, and I, look, I, it's very nice. <laughs> I'm thinking of the French road story here again. Look, the the idea that Google, a software company, is pushing hardware manufacturers to make more powerful phones, I mean, you know, that's no secret, okay? Because obviously they want Android to do more exciting things, and and obviously the more powerful the phones are, the more likely it is you can actually buy one because the cycle will keep evolving. And this one just feels like a bit of a stretch to me. I mean, uh, AR and VR... I've never really been a big fan of anyway, because no. I've not yet seen a decent practical use of it, especially in the consumer world. I mean, it's so it's used for adverts. Well, why know. should I buy more hardware and software to watch adverts? Exactly, and I think that's the issue with a lot of this stuff. While there clearly are a lot of industrial applications for VR and AR as well, which could certainly allow you. yes, um, uh, you know, putting pushing this front and center into consumer space. I, I, is unconvincing to me. And, and more than that, I would say, that, uh, in fact, I, I, I understand why they're trying to do it, because, of course, Google and, to a, to a lesser extent, well, to a greater extent, I suppose, Lenovo and Asus, manufacturers in the consumer space, they're interested in selling numbers. But this, the, the whole concept of this hardware-assisted AR, and even VR, I would say, has limited consumer appeal. And let's broaden the discussion out, if we may, James, to talk generally about the success or otherwise of VR in 2016. It arrived to great fanfare at the beginning of the year, and by the end of the year, uh, you know, nobody was really interested. There weren't any killer apps. There wasn't one fabulous game or application or anything with VR which set the world on fire, which made people talk down the pub and in the bars and restaurants and clubs about how amazing it was and how it was the greatest thing ever. There was no massive consumer boom in VRAR during the holiday season, which, you know, to, coming full circle to what you said, makes me think that maybe there aren't any consumer applications for this stuff. I, I mean, just think back to the whole wearable technology thing. I mean, 
head-worn devices, something which is near and dear to my heart because that's pretty much what I've spent my entire career in, has only really ever appealed to enterprise and industrial because of the actual practical uses of hands-free for safety and so forth. No one's yet managed to find the the killer app for the wearable thing. I mean, Google Glass started off as walking down the subway, getting directions, and ended up, you know, in well, the Smithsonian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is true. Uh, yeah, this this I think that's that's why maybe because I'm I live and breathe this VR stuff and AR on a regular basis. The idea of it being consumer from Google, I just don't get it. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, you look at Pokemon Go. I mean, that was a classic example of doing AR. I mean, there was one bit of Pokemon Go where when you found a monster, you flicked the ball at it and the monster sat on a surface. So it used the phone's camera. It, It could be any phone. It didn't have to be one of these AR phones to determine a flat surface nearby using parallax or whatever it was um and the monster would sit in front of you on the ground or in you know on the grass or on the table and you would flick the ball at it but it was very crude it certainly wasn't a high refresh rate or frame rate and it was not integral to the experience now you can't deny that for one week Pokemon Go wasn't the greatest thing since sliced bread, but its AR component was tiny, and B, that thing didn't stick. Yeah, well, th- th- there was that. I, well, I think that's that's the point. It didn't stick, right? Pokemon Go was really big for a week. Everyone was doing it, and now it disappeared. I think a- AR and VR in the consumer space is still a bit of a fad, and I don't know if Google's the company to do anything with it. I mean, it's just... Well, we'll be seeing a lot more of these Google Daydream Ready devices in 2017, which is the Google Daydream is the component of Android which allows virtual reality on your phone. So provided you've got the um, Snapdragon 821, the kind of chip that appears in the Google Pixel and OnePlus 3T, um, you'll be able to use Google Daydream, which is you strap your phone on front of your head and you have a VR experience. And it is also the kind of power that's required for Google Tango. So they are all kind of connected. But I think the jury is out on these. James, would you agree? Uh, yeah, it's too early to say, but I'm leaning towards a tectasm. Well, on those words, we'll move on now to a final article from Trusted Reviews and many others who reported LG steps in after a user's Android TV is bricked by ransomware. Well, uh, Darren Couthorn took to Twitter on December the 25th after his TV set was hijacked while trying to download a movie and infected with a Trojan. And once infected, a fake FBI warning encompassing the screen requesting $500 penalty payment popped up (laughs) in portrait mode on his gigantic 60-inch TV. Hilarious, James. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I think we all know what downloading a movie means, um, <laughs> but uh, but yes, um, it's uh, it's it's very interesting. We we've spoken a couple of times about Android and how it's susceptible to these types of these types of things, and I think um, um, I, I, I this will not. This is just the first of the stories that these stories will just continue till the end of time. Um, I don't really. Well, 
I, I, don't, I haven't got the details on how this happened, but um, I think in order to uh, install ransomware, you have to set your Android device to developer mode, which requires, you know, the kind of specialist intervention that only tech types would normally do. Under normal circumstances, you would not get this kind of infection. Because no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm going I'm, I'm to... I'm Here we go. Take a me do you remember a couple of months ago there was a bug in I think it was the Surface Flinger that if you watched a particular JPEG or movie there was an encoding that would go into the kernel and then you could execute code from that point. So you think that Darren Cothon did not set his device into developer mode? But even if he did set it into developer mode, developer mode doesn't give you root access. So the only way that they would have been able to do this is by um, is through an exploit to get root access, and there are plenty of those around. So I think this is either well, it's more likely a bug in LG's uh, layer that sits on top of the firmware. Less likely um, a, a generic bug in Android that oh, okay. allows. Kind right, of root, right, root access. Possible. But uh, one of the questions raised here by uh, our friends, at, uh, by Chris Smith at Trusted Reviews, was it would be interesting to know which app the owner was attempting to download a movie from before, you know, actually calling this one one way or the other. I, I, I don't know what series of events led up to this. Certainly this was always a technical possibility that somebody was, this was going to happen to somebody because when you put a full operating system you know with the kind of reach and penetration of android onto a tv uh, it's going to you know it's going to be a target for somebody i mean clearly you know it, it, this individual not being able to watch tv on christmas day i mean if he if he did i, I think he had a um uh, he had an L he must have had an lg set with android tv built into the actual tv set for LG to get involved and tell him how to reset it. If he, of course, had had Android TV on a separate device like the Xiaomi Mi or Nexus Player, he perhaps wouldn't have experienced that problem because he could have just unplugged it um, and uh, carried on watching the TV. But in this particular case, because the operating system uh, controls all modes of watching anything on that TV, his TV became useless. Yeah. And that, that, I think, is the danger. Well, it's, it's actually, interesting enough, it's a discontinued TV. It's a three-year-old TV, um, I'm, it was. It's probably an old version of Android that wasn't upgraded that has an exploit that allowed you to install uh, rooted applications. Right now, this is the problem, and we've talked uh, about this many times, haven't we, on this uh, show? That if you've got manufacturer-supplied Android and they don't update it, either the security patches or the version I have, an, a Nexus Player, which is on version seven point one of Android. Yep. Okay, and it gets regularly patches. It just patches itself all the time. This LG TV set, three years old. LG may have stopped supporting Android TV and stopped patching it. Could be an old version six or well, even. Haven't five. LG bought? Was it um, the OS from Palm? What was it called? They Web did, OS, didn't they? Yeah, they did buy WebOS. That's right. I wondered. I've just looked the TV model up to try and get a handle on. Uh, you know. Oh, here we go. Look, Finch Cinema, Finch Cinema 3D TV. It's three years old. Yeah, Google. It's called Google TV. Now that that's interesting because Google TV 
was the forerunner to Android TV. So actually what's happening here is this is being misreported. This is an issue with, so while Google TV itself was based on Android, it's a very old version. Yeah, I can see what's happened here. They've completely misreported this and said that it was Android TV, when in fact it wasn't Android TV. It was Google TV, which is uh, very old indeed. So I think that's what's happened. Well, uh, as we come to the end of the show, uh, thank you very much, James, for those fabulous stories. There is no more. that's all for this week you can find us at facebook.com techtasm subscribe in the usual places and contact us at feedback at techtasm.com we record most weeks at about 9 p.m so watch out for more coming soon from me sir robin yellow and him sir james woodall we're asking the question on your behalf is it real or is it just a techtasm? tech <laughs>